Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman and I am your host. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry and walk through their story of how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to go ahead and reiterate my main goal, which is to impact over 1 million people by helping them reach a next level. So if you have not done this already, go ahead and share this episode with three friends who need to hear some motivational entrepreneurial content. And if you're really feeling special, go ahead and make a review of this podcast on Apple Podcast. Other than that, going into today's episode, I'm sitting down with Kuda Biza, who's a serial entrepreneur who started his first company when he was nine years old in Zimbabwe. He moved to the States with just over $40 in his pocket, and since then, he started multiple companies such as Nonbelievable, which is a socially conscious baked goods company that really donates meals for every box of cookies purchased. He also has a company called This Is My Era, which is a personal development brand, and he has a sports collectible company that he also runs as well. He's also a keynote speaker and has done a TED Talk that's absolutely amazing. So we're really going to dive into a lot of material today. Kuda is a very humble guy who knows a lot about entrepreneurship and giving back. So I'm super pumped to dive in to his story today. But other than that, as we like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Kuda, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to be on the Next Level Minds podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Um, you, you mentioned you're in New Jersey right now, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm in uh, New Jersey. It's a little chilly, but I love it. <laughs> gotcha. Hey, as long as you love it, that's a huge plus, right? Yeah. Nice. Well, I want to start off here with a, with a fun question um, before we kind of dive into more of the, the whole business, entrepreneurial side of things. Obviously, researching your background, I saw that you were a Chelsea fan. So two questions along that. If you could be any position on the Chelsea team, what would that be? And second question, I think I saw they were eighth last time I checked. So how do you think they're going to finish off the season? Yeah, so if I was to be on the Chelsea team, I'd love to be uh, a striker. Didier Drogba is my idol. So, you know, I would love to do the things that, you know, he did for Chelsea and more. So that would be my position. Um, regarding where we are in the table, the season is long, right? It's 38 games. We're still, there's still a lot of games to play. We're about six points away from top four, mm. from the fourth. So if we win, you know, games and, you know, the other results, you know, shaping our favor, we're back in the mix. So, you know, I wouldn't panic too much right now. We, you know, it's, it's, it's a marathon sprint. Obviously, would love to be uh, number one, but, you know, we're still building. Uh, it's a young team. So let's see what happens over the next, uh, you know, couple of weeks. And, you know, we'll be curious to see in May when the season ends, 
where things will shape up. But we're also still in the Champions League. We're also still in the FA Cup. So there's still chances for us to get silverware this season. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Striker, did you say right or left, or does it does not even matter there? Central. Yep, okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the Alls League is just so competitive with the uh, the people that you're playing against on a on a you know weekly basis there on who you're playing. So Yeah, it's 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 the toughest league, I think, in the world. Uh anyone can win it. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Leicester City, you know, end up at the top. Uh, Liverpool are in there with a the shout. Manchester United are also there in Manchester City. So it's it's unlike Spain where you know it's either Barcelona, Atletico or Real. Um, the English Premiership, it's unpredictable, but that's what makes it thrilling and the most exciting league in the world. Yeah. Have you had a chance to go to a Chelsea game in person? So many. Oh, I, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, you know, pre-COVID, on an average season, I'll probably go to maybe four or five games. So I'm a true fan, not just a TV one. <laughs> yeah. I, I I make the trip out and, you know, I've I've gone to both home and away games, um, had the chance to meet some of the players. So uh, all in all, I am a blessed fan. So so I'm happy about that. Yeah, I like to hear that you're an actual real fan because I always call myself a Manchester United fan, but I just watch it on TV and, of course, choose to play as them when I play FIFA. So I, I'm not even a real fan at the end of the day. So No, no, you are a fan, you know. Like, I was, there was a stage in my life when I couldn't afford to do all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, things have changed, you know, I was in corporate for a while and, 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 and whatnot, and kind of like went up the ladder a little bit. So, you know, I'm pretty sure once you have the resources, I don't know if you do right now or not, but, um, I'm pretty sure if you are really, truly a Manchester United fan, that's it. That's an experience that you'd want to have. So I'm pretty sure you, you'd invest in it. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, like post COVID, I uh, hope to get over there and actually watch a game in person. So I know that'll be a lot of fun, but speaking on your background a little bit, obviously, you know, research, you know, I saw you grew up in Zimbabwe and you started your first company at nine years old. I think, I think I saw on your Ted talk that it was a window cleaning business. So a couple of questions on that. I mean, what was that like growing up in that area? Well, beautiful. I mean, Africa is beautiful. A lot of the things that people see about Africa on the TV is obviously kind of like the, the, the not so mm. beautiful side about Africa, but Zimbabwe, for example, we have one of the eight wonders of the world, Victoria Falls. The weather is amazing. No wonder why, you know, all the colonialists were coming down to Africa. And, you know, we have a lot of resources as a, as a continent in terms of, um, you know, natural resources, um, land where you can, you know, do a lot of uh, farming. Um, so for me, my, my, my upbringing was, was great. Yes, there were kind of like challenges we faced, but I mean, we all face challenges, right? So mm. uh, the way I view it, because I've been blessed to have lived in both Africa and also the West, there are, there are, there are problems in Africa that we face that are not problems in, in the U.S. Mm. So you, you think about things like food, you know, um, poverty and, and things like that. They're more prevalent in third world countries than here in the U.S., but then there are more Western uh, issues like, you know, shootings and, and things like that, you know, access to guns and, and whatnot. In Africa, we really don't have those types of challenges. Well, at least to the degree that, you know, the Western uh, societies have it. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's you, you can never find a, a perfect place. There'll always be 
um, good things about it and bad things about it. But for, for me personally, growing up in Africa, I think was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because it was through that experience that has actually led me to who I am today. Mm. And I know I, I saw that you, I think were the, what, one of, on, you're the only boy out of five kids, I believe, that you mentioned. Yeah, I, I have four uh, sisters. Well, gotcha. now three because one of them passed away. But mm. growing up, I was the only son. Uh, so it, it had its advantages sometimes. And also it had disadvantages as well. But I love my sisters. They uh, really looked out for me and, and helped me out. And also my parents um, really wanted to make sure that as I grew up to become a man, I am a man of integrity. I'm a man who, who's, who's really focused on not just myself, but the world and, and is highly driven and motivated. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit on that story of starting that, the first business um, when you were nine? Yeah. So, you know, at that time, I never really thought about, you know, getting into business or anything. What happened was just necessity. Mm. Um, I needed an ice cream. I went to my mom and my mom said, no, I had been naughty that morning. So it was a way for her to, I guess, punish me. But what she then did, she wakened the, uh, the lion within because saw an opportunity where I could generate my own financial resources because I quickly realized that, you know, if I had my own, I wouldn't have to be dependent on my mom. Mm. And that was really the, <clears throat> the key driver for starting the business. So I went to my neighbors, her, her, her windows were dirty. And I asked to clean the windows and she said, yeah. And three hours later, I made my first $5 in business. And, you know, once you taste it, right, it's like you, you're hooked, yeah. so to say, right? So I just went, you know, house, house, house to house, house to house. Over the summer, ended up actually having two of my other friends work for me while I was doing the sales because I actually hated cleaning windows. Mm. Uh, but when I was a one-man shop, I kind of like did it because I had no other choice. But then I quickly realized that, hey, if I'm charging people five bucks, I can pay my friends, you know, part of it. And then I keep the rest. And all I have to do is get the deal and then they do the work. So, um, you know, it was a win-win-win for everybody. So we, we did that. And before you know it, you know, I had a small little business going on. That's so cool that you realized at that age, like, hey, I don't like doing this, but I can get the deal and I can just outsource. I think that's something that holds a lot of entrepreneurs back is just doing the dirty work that they don't like doing, getting burnt out. I mean, that's amazing that you showcase that at an early age like that. Yeah. And, you know, when I look back and I think about it, it, it was really smart because yeah. what that enabled me to do, it enabled me to really just focus on what I call my zone of genius. Mm. You know, I was really good at selling and, and uh, really convincing my mom's friends to say yes. Um, and then my friend would then just come and, and clean the windows and they were shy and they wouldn't have gone to, you know, stand up uh, to, 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 a, to a neighbor and, and really articulate what we were, you know, providing for them as a solution. So I was able to, to, to identify that and, you know, it, it, it worked wonders at that age. I'm sure that first five bucks you made too just felt amazing. Oh, yeah. The very next day when the ice cream truck came by, you know, I was a big boy. I didn't have to go ask my mom anymore. And I, and I brought myself an ice cream. So it was a wonderful feeling. But, um, you know, that was the day I, I really realized the power of entrepreneurship. You know, mm -hmm. if you are able to identify a problem and you come up with a solution, 
you you are rewarded by you know the universe for that and that's what really entrepreneurship is all about you know we're problem solvers and you know as well providing value into into people's lives you know people um you know uh are, are willing to pay for for you to eliminate and solve problems in their lives yeah i totally agree and that's it's a thing too it's it's actually taking the time to add value provide a solution that people want and if you can do that on a scalable, high quality level, then you're going to be successful within your business. Absolutely. I wouldn't agree um, more with you. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit. I also saw that you came to the U.S. with, what was it like $40 in your pocket and then went to university, right? Yeah. So it's, a, it's an interesting story. So when, when usually when I give speeches, because sometimes I get to give keynote speeches and whatnot. Uh, especially when I'm at schools, I usually have, you know, some money in the back of my pocket and I just lift it up. And, you know, sometimes it's 20 bucks, sometimes it's 40 bucks. Um, and it's it's symbolic to when I came uh, from Zimbabwe and my parents could only give me $40 uh, when I came here. And the lesson I tried to teach, you know, is I always say like, hey, who wants $40? And then you have a lot of people saying like, me, 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 me. And they just sit it in their seats. And then I just keep asking, who wants $40? And they just keep on getting it. And then I keep on doing it until someone in the crowd realizes that they have to walk up to the stage to get it. Um, because it is through taking action that you actually then get the results. So mm. it is the same case with me, right? I came from a poor family. My parents wouldn't have been able to afford an American education. When I was in high school, a lot of my friends wanted to come to America. We all shared the American dream. But unlike my friends, a lot of my friends were just like, oh, yeah, I want to go to America. I want to go to America. They were just raising their hands. None of them were willing to actually walk up to the stage and grab that opportunity, which is what I did. And how I did that is I, I sat down and really thought about what are the resources that I need in order for me to, to go to America? So, you know, I realized that I needed to study for the SATs. I needed to um, apply to the colleges you know, and so forth and so forth. But the key resource I needed was internet. Because without the internet, I wouldn't have been able to study for the SATs. Without internet, I wouldn't have been able to apply to all these schools um, that I was hoping would give me a scholarship to come. So, so what I did instead of sitting down and said like, well, I don't have any internet at home. I don't have any internet, so I won't be able to go to America. I went to an internet cafe and asked for a job. And um, they offered me a job um, to open up a night shift. So for me, it was beautiful because, you know, I would work from, you know, 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. at night, lock it up and sleep in the Internet cafe. And while I was in the Internet cafe, you know, from 11 p.m. to 6 in the morning, I would be able to search, you know, um, you know, all the things that I needed to do my research, write my college applications, study for my SATs. And it was all for free. So life, one of the key things you need to learn is that don't focus on the resources, focus on being resourceful. Because sometimes as an entrepreneur, you know, I might only have $100,000 to start a business and you might have a million dollars. But five years from now, I might have a much more successful business than yours, although you had more capital than I have, just because I am more of a resourceful entrepreneur than you. So, so that's really kind of like the journey that happened there. Um, I applied to, you know, tons of schools. And um, one school gave me a really good scholarship, Lynn University in Florida. 
And I was able to, to, to go there, but it took me more than two years mm. uh, between when I started the process to when it fi finally happened, which is another lesson too, in that, you know, sometimes you have to persevere. I, I have friends who gave up too early, who just, you know, applied the first round, got declined, and then they were like, you know what, it will never work out. Let me mm. go to school here in Zimbabwe. But I had to apply, you know, wait, apply again, apply to more schools. I was actually accepted at a school in Zimbabwe and I turned them down because I knew if I took that opportunity, I wouldn't be able to uh, attend, you know, the, 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 the university of my dreams in the U.S. And, I, you know, so, so I, I, I had to sacrifice something in order to get it. And after two years, you know, I came to America with $40 in my pocket. Wow. That's so cool that you just got the role at the cafe and you're like, all right, I need internet, but I also could use a job. Let me combine the two so I can get this internet, figure out the SAT, figure out, you know, all the school situations. I mean, that's, that's an amazing story right there. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's kind of like a lesson, right? You, mm. you have to do what you have to do, right? Yeah. You can sit around moaning and, you know, groaning for the world to give you things. You just have to put things into your own hands and you just have to take control. Um, and like I said, you have to be resourceful. You know, it's, if you don't have the resources, but you have the dream, you're going to have to figure out how to make a dream work. And yeah. as an entrepreneur, you know, it's, it's the same thing. You're going to have to figure out how can you be resourceful. So if you're a 25 year old, you're working a nine to five, you don't really like it. You want to become an entrepreneur, figure out what are some of the things that you could do and, you know, apply leverage so that you can get your business going while you're still in the nine to five and scale it to a point where you can then transition over and work on your business full time. So, you know, there are a lot of lessons that, you know, people can extrapolate from, from that story of me when I was coming to America. So you talked about in that story, perseverance and how your friends were, you know, applying for a college, two or three of them getting rejected and just kind of giving up. I mean, mm -hmm. what really kept you going through, through that process? Cause I think perseverance is like a really hard thing sometimes to master, especially if you're getting rejected a lot. To be honest, I don't really know. Um, I was just crazy enough to believe that it would just happen. Like I would visualize myself in Miami. Mm. And more importantly, I, I just, I didn't have a plan. Like coming to America was my plan A. Coming to America was my plan B, my plan C, my all the way to yeah. C. So that was the only plan I had. And I was willing, like I said, to do whatever it took to make it happen. So that's why it took me two years, right? Applying again, applying again until the door opened. So sometimes in life, you just have to keep on knocking until, until you, you, you know, the door opens. And if you want to take over the island, you have to burn all the boats, right? Because mm. that's how you, 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 you take over the island. So for me, it was just making it like, hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes in order for this to happen and just having that belief in myself, in God, uh, that, you know, by continuously doing this, it's, it's going to unlock that uh, dream that I always had. And, you know, just having that laser focus on that one thing is, is what led me to, 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 to do it. But more importantly, I think it is the ability to be comfortable outside of your comfort zone. I was not in my comfort zone when I was pursuing that dream. 
And, you know, I became comfortable not being in my comfort zone. But a lot of people, what happens is that once you're pushed outside of your comfort zone, you quickly want to go back to your comfort zone. And your inability to figure out a way to, to be comfortable in an uncomfortable environment is what leaves you achieving mediocre dreams. Um, a lot of people who, mm. have who have achieved a lot of success in their life, you'll find out that um, they've gone through a lot of uncomfortable situations and they've really mastered their ability to be comfortable outside of their comfort zone. Yeah, so get uncomfortable with being uncomfortable or yeah. get comfortable with being uncomfortable, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting you bring that up because, you know, obviously I've hosted a lot of these podcasts, talked to a lot of successful individuals like yourself, and there's honestly like a reoccurring theme of them getting uncomfortable, just getting out of their comfort zone and just forcing themselves to make whatever dream or goal happen no matter what. Yeah, it's you, you just have to do whatever you have to do. Uh, to make your, your your dream come true. Like one of the things I think about, right, is that there was a point in time where Amazon was an uncomfortable goal for Jeff Bezos, mm. right? It was like one of the things where he was like, I want to create this thing. And like a lot of people thought he was crazy. There was a point in time where Microsoft was also an uncomfortable dream for Bill Gates, right? But these guys did what they had to do. They were you know, comfortable with the uncomfortable and they ended up achieving their dream. And I, my TEDx, which you, you referenced earlier, is exactly about that, which is, you know, being comfortable with stepping outside of your comfort zone because that is where the magic happens, right? Life begins, you know, at life starts at the beginning of your comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, sorry, life starts at the end of your comfort zone. Mm. That's That's the mindset you should have um, you know, in life. Totally agree. And I mean, another fine example of that is, uh, is Elon Musk. I mean, look what he's doing with SpaceX. He's trying to commercialize space travel and it's kind of working. People are, I thought he was crazy at first, but same with Tesla as well. So there you have it. Yeah. So you, uh, you mentioned you spent a lot of time kind of before we started in a, in a lot of fortune 500 companies. Um, what learning lessons did you experience working in those environments that you think you've been able to really implement into your business today? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I learned is, you know, you just don't become a multi-billion dollar company. You know, it's not something that just yeah. happens, right? You have to have discipline. You need to have processes in place, controls. Um, so that was kind of like one of the key things I learned, which is, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, you can get your business to a certain point, but if you really want to go to that next level, you quickly need to figure out how to uh, put structures in place uh, to enable that to happen. So, like, let's say, for instance, your ability to delegate, right? Mm -hmm. If you look into big multi-corporations, right? Yes, you might have the CEO, but they're like managers, vice presidents, and all these other roles. And you, you, you want to kind of like delegate tasks and also just empower people to be able to make decisions and, and drive the business. So that was kind of like one of the key things that I learned. So as I'm building 
uh, non-believable, the cookie company that we have right now was still a startup, was still a small business, but you quickly want to identify really smart people to join your team because it's all about the team, right? You can only be as strong uh, as your weakest link. So if you have mm. a strong team in place, you can really grow the business. Uh, but the, the, the thing that you also want to quickly do is you want to then start empowering people so that, you know, they can bring their creativity out. They can also learn. Yes, they'll make mistakes, but that's how they'll learn and grow. And over time, you, you actually start seeing that what you were thinking was impossible is actually possible because you work as a team. So, so that's one thing that um, I really learned being in a, in a big Fortune 500 company. And then the other thing, too, is that <clears throat> it differs from company to company, but the experience that I had when, when I was there was that So, you know, sometimes you might think of a business, right? Because at the end of the day, the person who votes with their wallet um, is the person who really drives your business. So the ability to um, make sure that you're listening to your customers and you're taking it back and, and making sure that you're coming up with solutions to solve their pain points, that was a key insight. Sometimes as, as entrepreneurs, we come up with an idea and we try to push it into the marketplace, but what you should do as an entrepreneur is you should actually fall in love with your customer and have them tell you what their problems are. Mm. And then you figure out how to solve those problems for them. I like that because it's actually listening to what the customer wants. I think sometimes people just make products within a large organization. Oh, I hope this sticks, but I think it's so important to actually, your customers can be the one that's going to make you money at the end of the day. So, Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was the, the, the other thing. And for me, I was, I was part of the innovation team. Mm. So, you know, part of what we had to do is we had to talk to customers. I would go to customers' homes, watch them do certain wow. things, use certain products, take notes, sit down and really listen to their pain points. And then it is through that listening that you'd be like, oh, mm. you know, moms struggle with this. So if we were to create a product that did this, we would solve, um, you know, a pain for them because what they're really looking for is time, it's freedom, it's whatever. So if we solve this for them, they're willing to, to buy it. And that's how we would ideate and come up with businesses. So to give you an example, um, one of the brands I was working on was uh, the brand called uh, Crockpot. So I don't know if you know it. It's a slow cooker. Yeah. Um, everybody and their mother has one. Um, and one of the things that we did is, as, as we started talking to customers, we, we, we started understanding their routine, right? So a lot of women were, were, were telling us that, hey, it's very difficult for me to slow cook during the week because in order for me to use my slow cooker, I have to prepare uh, the meal before I go to work before I take the kids to school. And during that time, I need to make breakfast. I need to get ready. So it's very difficult for me to use the slow cooker during the week. I only use it on weekends or on special occasions, whatever. So for us, we're like, okay, well, we can solve that. And the way we solve that is we created a meal delivery uh, kit, frozen hmm. meals that, you know, you could uh, buy, put them in your freezer and in the morning, instead of you worrying about taking out all the ingredients, chopping them up and putting it into the slow cooker, 
You just take that kit, open it up. It has all the ingredients in place. You just put the ingredients into the slow cooker, add water, turn it on, and it's done. So we took a 45-minute uh, process and compressed it down to two minutes. And wow. when we launched the business, moms got it because it was convenient. It was delicious. They always want to serve their family a delicious meal. It was easy, and it sold a, a huge pain point because think about it. Every single day, the question, what's for dinner tonight, honey, is asked, <laughs> right? And you have more than 100 million households in America mm. and 365 days in a year. So if you do the math, you know, it's like billions of times that question is asked, what's for dinner tonight? And it's a pain point. And we solved the big pain point and were able to take that business from zero to over 20 million in less than three years because we listened to the customer, we solved the pain point, and um, we were able to deliver so much value to the consumer's life that when we launched the product, it was a no-brainer for them, and we were able to grow and scale the business quickly. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really good point you made, too, just about the amount of times people ask, hey, what's for dinner? And you guys solved that, uh, that pain point there. Something you mentioned was you, able, you were able to get feedback from the potential customer. Obviously, you're in a Fortune 500, so you would reiterate some of that probably to the product design team, and that would trickle down. Uh, I've been fortunate to just partner with a lot of Fortune 500 companies for, for my job. And something I've realized is kind of the communication can be a little slow. So once your company starts to scale up, I mean, what are some things to just make sure that it doesn't take, you know, four or five, six weeks just to make a, a quick decision like that? Yeah, well, as, as the entrepreneur, CEO, leader, it's your job to, to make sure that your company is efficient and to mm. break those barriers, you know my style is to try to keep the organization as flat as possible, right? Um, but it all depends with the type of organization that you have. But, um, you know, one thing I would say is just making sure that you have a set of core values and core principles that everybody in the team knows about. And if one of your core values is that, hey, we're going to do things in an efficient manner and everybody's bought in into that mindset, you know, there shouldn't be any, um, you know, barriers that, that slow things down. And also you can incentivize your team to deliver projects uh, in a timely basis, you know. So if, you know, time is money, right, they say, yeah. right? So if, if something that could be done in two weeks is taking eight weeks to do, figure out a way to incentivize, you know, the team to deliver projects quickly because, you know, they also want to make more money. So there are small little tricks like that that you could do to make sure that you're not bogged down. But if, if you don't pay attention to it, then if you have people on your team who are not as motivated as others, they can drag the process. So, you know, there, there are some very, very efficient, you know, conglomerates out there, right, that are as nimble as a small startup because they pay attention to, to these small details. So, you know, it's, it's not always all big Fortune 500s are small or slow. Yeah. Some are, don't get me wrong, but some are very, very efficient as well. And it all comes down to the leadership. So mm -hmm. I think you as the leader need to take responsibility and accountability and, and make sure that you are, you know, empowering the, the right people within the organization to, to unlock any um, inefficiencies within the system. Yeah, I love your point about core values. I think that's super important, no matter how big your, your organization is, to really instill those. Yeah. So 
let's talk about your book, Spear, right? Spear Method. Okay. So real quick, before we go into that acronym, because I really want you to break it down. I think it's awesome. Uh, what was kind of like your time management technique to also run a company and get a book out there? Because it's kind of a selfish question, because I want to I want to write a book, hopefully within the next five years. So, Yeah, well, <clears throat> whatever gets scheduled gets done, mm. right? So the number one thing I'll tell you is that schedule time, block out time to do it. If it means that you have to wake up an hour early, if it means that you have to sleep an hour late, um, you know, just do it because that's, that's the only way you're going to get it done. So I took a hard look on, onto my calendar to try to see like, where were there any blocks of time that I could schedule my book writing? And I identified two, well, in fact, three, uh, but it was really two that really made the difference. So the first block was my commute into work, right? Okay. I live in New Jersey. I work in Manhattan. And it's an hour commute on the train for me to get into the city. The second block is my commute back home. It's another hour. So by just committing to say, like, when I'm going into the office, when I'm coming back from the office, I'm going to use that time not to be playing around on social media, not to just be texting my friends or sleeping or whatever. I'm going to use that time to write. I actually unlogged 10 hours, right, per week to write. Wow, yeah, right? that's a good point. So, so it's, it's really just identifying and, and really just being uh, aware of your calendar because time is wasted not in hours and days, but in minutes and seconds. Mm. So identify those minutes and seconds that you can allocate to those big priorities and, and things will, will happen. And if writing a book <clears throat> is a top priority for you, then there are certain things on your calendar that are not priorities that you can knock out, right? You were talking about Manchester United and Chelsea and whatnot. You know, there were days that I wouldn't watch the game because I could always find out the result. True. But I could focus on writing my book because my book was a priority. So, you know, that would be my advice to you. And, you know, it 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 wasn't easy. It worked out, and and it was done. Yeah, I like your point there. Like time is lost by minutes and seconds. I think that is so true. You know, I I have the whole screen time thing that it sends you on iPhone of like how much time you spend. And I mean, it'll be like you spend an hour and a half on social media. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize I was spending that much time. So that's yeah. a really good point. Um, let's go into that acronym though. I know you broke it down on your, your Ted talk. So, uh, I'd let you kind of take it from there. Yeah. So <clears throat> the spear method, the reason why, uh, I actually decided to write a book was, um, in 2015, my sister passed away, uh, suddenly and tragically, uh, she was bit by a dog that had rabies and she died a few days later. And when I flew back to Zimbabwe to go to a funeral, I started asking myself questions like, was she happy? Was she fulfilled? You know, did she know her life's purpose? And did she actually get to pursue and achieve her life's purpose? And I didn't know the answers to those questions, obviously, because she wasn't there anymore to share, to share with me. But I started then thinking about myself. Just like, mm -hmm. hey, am I pursuing my life's purpose? Am I, you know, doing things that will give me fulfillment or I'm just chasing success? And those were things that were just circling in my head. And then I started thinking about other people, right? 
my sisters, my cousins, my friends, fellow entrepreneurs. And then I quickly realized that, hey, I'm probably not the only one who's kind of like maybe going through this where, you know, I was in the corporate world at the time. I was just pursuing success and I wasn't doing things that made me happy, right? Mm. I wasn't doing things that gave me fulfillment. So it kind of like was an epiphany for me to say, like, hey, I need to find a way to balance success and fulfillment. So the full title of the book is The Spear Method, Five Simple Steps to Balance Success and Fulfillment. Because there's a, there's a way in life where you can be successful and fulfilled. In fact, life's ultimate failure is when you are successful, but you're not fulfilled. Mm. So you're a miserable billionaire or you're a miserable millionaire. Like you have all the money, but you're not happy. That's a failure uh, in my eyes. So you want to make sure that as you're building all this financial wealth, as you're making those millions of dollars, you yourself are also doing things that give you fulfillment. Mm. So now let's step into the acronym. Now you know uh, the background about the book and what the book is all about. The SPEAR method it's an acronym and S stands for seek your purpose. If you want to be successful in life, if you want to be fulfilled in life, you need to know what your purpose in life is. Because if you don't know your purpose, yes, you can do an odd thing here and there that gives you a lot of money, but you will never be happy because there's that vacuum and that void in you that will always be there because you're not pursuing your purpose. So being able to make sure that you're pursuing your purpose um, all the time will, make, will, will put you in full congruency with what you were brought into this world to do. So that's the first thing you need to do. So in the book, I talk about how you can find your purpose, the importance of finding your purpose, and you know some questions you can ask yourself and people who really know you to help you find your purpose if you don't already know what your purpose is. Now... Let's say you do the exercise and you now know what your purpose is. The next thing you want to do is you want to plan. That's P, right? Spear. So SP, um, you want to plan. When I came to America to study, um, I was in uh, a school that allowed me to double major. Hmm. So I double majored in business and aviation. So when I'd go to the flight school, the flight instructors would always tell me, hey, Kuda, you always need to create a flight plan before you take off. Okay. And then I go to business classes. Hey, you need to create a business plan for your business. <laughs> it's like plans everywhere, right? So I quickly realized that every flight needs a flight plan, right? Every business needs a plan. So every life also needs a life plan. So if you find out your purpose, you need to sit down and come up with a plan on how you're going to achieve it, right? Because think about it. If you were to get into an airplane today and you're flying to Europe, to Africa, wherever, and then you just go and say to the captain pilot, hey, do you guys have your flight plan? And he goes like, no, we're just going to wing it. <laughs> how confident are you going to be, um, you know, with, with the, the, the pilot's abilities to take you from point A to point B, right? Yeah. You won't really be confident because they're just going to go and they'll just try to figure it out, right? No. You want to be on a plane where the pilot has a plan. They know the direction, the coordinates that they're going to take to get there. So the same is true for your life. You should not be a spectator in your life. You need to be the captain pilot and take control, right? And take your life to the destination that you want to go. 
So similar to what we were talking about earlier, it's like my plan was like, hey, I want to come to America, right? So I had to plan to say like, hey, these are the things that I'm going to do in order to get there. And then my friends who didn't have a plan and they were just winging it, they're still there. Mm. So that's the second one. The third one, it's execute. So if you seek your purpose, if you come up with a plan, you need to execute the plan, right? Because what's the point of you, you know, drafting out, you know, this plan and then you shove it somewhere, right? Mm. Uh, execution is, is key and is, is the ultimate, you know, uh, difference maker really because when you uh, take action, right, that is what brings results, right? Um, you can't expect to have a six-pack if you're not going to the gym, working out, eating the right food. You might have a detailed plan on how you can get a six-pack, but if you actually don't wake up in the morning and go to the gym, if you actually don't go into the kitchen and make that salad instead of eating takeout, if you don't do it, you will never accomplish the goal. I remember, you know, a few years back, my wife would always write these New Year's resolutions. She would always be like, hey, I want to run a 5K, right? At the beginning of each year. She did it maybe for three consecutive years. And then after she writes it down, she would never go out and run. She would never do anything. And then the year ends and she's never run that 5K. So then I sat down with them, like, listen, if the only way you're going to achieve the goal is by taking action. And sometimes in our minds, when we think about our life's purpose or that big dream that we want to achieve, it overwhelms us because mm -hmm. if you've never done it before, it's so hard for you to achieve. So what you want to do is you want to then understand like, okay, this is the big, big goal, but how can you break it down into smaller chunks um, that are achievable, that are attainable, and that don't overwhelm you, right? They still take you outside of your comfort zone, but it's something that's doable. So the, 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 the process we came up with was like, hey, you will just go outside today and run for five minutes. So don't think about the 5K or anything like that. If you just spend five minutes outside running, great. And then next week, we take it from five to 10 minutes. Mm. And then from 10 minutes to 15 minutes, but what, what happened was because she was now taking action every day consistently in less than two months, she ran a 5K with me. But for three years, she would write it down as a goal, come up with a plan, but never really execute the plan. Mm. So execution is key. Yes. And, then the th and then the fourth one after E um, is A, which is achieve. And now this is, this is an interesting one because <clears throat> the first and most important achievement you will make all the time is you stepping outside of your comfort zone. Every mm. single time you do it, it's an achievement. You might not achieve that big milestone you're trying to achieve, but the fact that you actually uh, took action to do it, it's an achievement. But the key thing about um, the achievement stage is that uh, similar to breathing, right? How do you stay alive, right? You stay alive because you take breath consecutively, right? So if you take this first one and that goal is achieved, if you then say like, oh, I took a breath at 6.46 p.m., I don't have to breathe again ever, what's going to happen? Not good. You're going to die. Yeah, not right? good, yeah. 
So what you need to do is once you make that small achievement, you celebrate it, pat yourself in the back, don't live in that moment for too long, but repeat, mm. which is the last uh, stage of the spear method, right? So you, you make a small achievement, you repeat that process, because it is through that repetitive process of you taking action, executing, you know, achieving your goal, repeating that is where you'll be in const you know, constant pursuit of your purpose. You're always taking a look at your plan, making modifications to it, and then ultimately you will achieve success and fulfillment because fulfillment and success, they're actually um, attained through the journey, right? So don't think of them as destinations because once you, let's say if your goal was to hit a million dollars, once you hit that million dollars, do you want to stop there? No, you want to set another bigger goal and, and, and keep pushing and then maybe set something different and, and keep pursuing uh, for your life. So <clears throat> that, uh, that is really the spear method. And, um, you know, it's something that I do and practice every day. Um, and I wish more entrepreneurs and, and, and people beyond entrepreneurs would be able to, to, to practice it because through that method, you will be able to achieve success and fulfillment. I love your point about, well, first off, I love all those points in the spear method, but I just really like your points you made about execution. I think, especially in the, the time we're recording right now, the start of the new year, People just have these goals, these plans that that's step one, but then they never really execute on what's happening. And I like the point you made about the 5K. Like it's all about consistency, you know, run five minutes here, mm -hmm. I run 10 minutes. I saw you brought up in your TED talk, uh, David Goggins, like he's a prime example. He was what, 300 pounds. He just went out and ran 60 seconds one day and now he's running for like five days straight. Dang. You know, so <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point, man. I love that. That's a, it's a cool story too, how you came up with it, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I also want to really touch on is I know with your, your cookie company, you provide meals for people in need. So when did you really like kind of discover your passion for giving back? Cause I, I think those are some of my favorite entrepreneurs that, that really give back to, uh, from their success that they've had. Yeah, I think for me, the seeds of giving back are rooted back to my time in Zimbabwe. So a couple mm -hmm. of things happened. So right around when I was maybe 10, so like, you know, maybe a year after I started my business, um, I noticed a group of kids my age who were not going to school. And I always wondered, I was like, well, are they homeschooled or like, why, why is it that they don't have to deal with this, right? Because think about it, it's, it's, you know, six o'clock in the morning and you're going <laughs> yeah. to school, you're not really like super excited about it. And then you're passing by like, you know, a house in your neighborhood and there are kids in their pajamas, laughing, playing, having fun, you know, and you have to go to school. So yeah. one day I was like, I just need to go and understand like, why is it that they don't go to school? So anyway, I go and I spend the day with them. <clears throat> and I learned that they were orphans. Their parents had passed away. They were living mm -hmm. with their grandma. But unlike uh, public education in America where it's free, in Africa, you have to pay. So mm -hmm. their grandma, you know, she didn't really have any source of income. So she couldn't pay for their education. So they were not going to school and they were not getting an education. So for me, it was just kind of like mind boggling. Um, and then I asked this little girl, Sarah, a question. And the question was, what do you want to be when you grow up? 
I was expecting her to tell me something like, hey, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a pilot, I want to be a lawyer, blah, blah, blah. And she looks at me straight in my eyes and she goes like, Kuda, my parents are dead. I don't go to school. I'm just waiting to die. Hmm. And in my mind, I was like, wow. wow, like this, you know, eight, nine year old has lost the ability to dream hmm. just because others, right, haven't been able to step in and fill in the void, you know, of, you know, her parents passed away and say like, hey, we're going to look after you. We're going to provide for you. Um, you know, they, they didn't do it. So <clears throat> it just gave me this huge desire to want to provide opportunities for others who don't have opportunities. Because I remember that day when I was walking home, it hit me as young as I was that the only difference between me and Sarah was the fact that I was born in this family and she was born in this family, but everything else was the same. We, we, have, we, have, we both have a heart. Our blood is red. You know, we, we breathe or human beings, but just because I was fortunate enough to be born in a different family than her, we were facing totally different circumstances, but importantly, very different life prospects, right? Hmm. Because, you know, she's not going to school and I had the opportunity to go to school. So it was at that point that I made a promise to myself that I was going to use whatever I had to, number one, leave Zimbabwe and come to America. Because at that point in time, I kind of like figured like, well, if the people in Zimbabwe can't really figure things out, maybe I need to go to another country, become successful in that country, and then make a difference and change lives. So that became the inspiration for me to leave Africa and come to America. And um, it was something that was always in the back of my mind. So fast forward to, I'm in America, I'm in college. I remembered that life mission of mine. And I started my first social entrepreneurial business while I was in college with 150 bucks in my dorm room. I started a clothing company called AFR Clothing where we would donate uh, 20% of our profits to provide scholarships to educate kids in Africa. And, you know, that business took off. We educated hundreds of children, right? Mm. Um, actually, I got an, uh, a, a message a couple of weeks ago. One of our students who we took um, when they were in high school, graduated university, she went and she studied biology, and we basically changed the trajectory of her life and her future generations because we broke the poverty cycle. Yeah, right? that's amazing. Now she has a different trajectory. Now her kids are going to have a different trajectory and her grandkids. And it really just came out from one small action of love, hmm. of me taking action on a very simple idea, a t-shirt company, but it created value within the uh, universe. And that value, we were able to extract it and invest it into someone else's life. And now what she's doing through her degree in biology, saving lives, providing um, you know, other people with healthcare, and, like the return on that small investment is infinity. Mm. Right when you yeah think about it. So, so, so so that was my first step in in social entrepreneurship wow. and remember I told you um, I started asking myself questions about purpose and fulfillment while I was still in corporate America which led me to write the book it made me realize that I needed to work on something that had 
more of a meaning, more of a purpose. Um, so when the opportunity came about to start Nonbelievable, for me, it was a no-brainer. So I quit a high-paying corporate job to get into a startup because I knew that by working on this project, it would give me fulfillment. Mm. And we would also be able to achieve success. So, so that's how we, you know, we, we started Nonbelievable. And it was really out of, um, you know, an, an individual who learned about a group of nuns who were being evicted mm. and he decided to step in and then came up with a vision of creating a cookie company that had a social mission. And because of my experience creating and running food businesses, right? Remember I told you about Crockpot Cuisine. Um, they called me and they're like, hey, Kuda, would you like to, to take this vision and, um, you know, turn it into reality? And for me, it was a no-brainer. So, so yeah, that's the story behind Unbelievable. Yeah, that's so cool too. I mean, just with that impact you made um, for, for that person and their future family, like that's something I've been really realizing is one small impact has a significant ripple effect that you may not even realize. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, I asked you this before we started recording, but what's the favorite cookie that you guys offer with uh, Unbelievable? Do you have a favorite? Yeah, so my favorite up until now, um, and this is <clears throat> January 2021 when we're recording this, is oatmeal raisin. Okay. So that's my favorite cookie. But by the time the listeners are going to listen to this, we're going to have new varieties that we're going to be launching. So in a couple of weeks, we're launching a new line. Uh, I won't dive into details yet. So you have to go to nonbelievable.com and you're going to see that new line. Um, and there are two flavors in there that I love. And part of what I love about it is, um, and you'll see them once you get there, is that we use ingredients from my home country, Zimbabwe. Oh, wow. So cool. these ingredients, um, it's a beautiful story. And the beauty in the story is that... Uh, they have a lot of health benefits. So mm. think about vitamins, you know, antioxidants. It's kind of like a new superfood in, 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 in kind of like the, the cookie space. So like back in the day when acai became really popular, this ingredient that we put into the cookies, it's kind of like the new acai. Mm. That's number one. But number two, we're sourcing it from Zimbabwe, my home country, and were able to provide uh, a better living standard for the women that um, you know go and harvest and and you know supply us with this ingredient. Um, you know, if they were to sell it, uh, you know, to the locals in Zimbabwe, they wouldn't make as much as they make when they sell it to us. Hmm. So when we're helping improve the standard of living for 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 communities, and remember. We are breaking cycles, right? And you are now establishing a, a, a new trajectory for, for, for generations because of that. So that those two flavors are, uh, are my new favorite ones. So when you go on our website and if you really dig through, I've given you enough information for you to be able to find what those flavors are. 
those are my favorite flavors. Nice. We'll have to check those out once they become more live uh, within the next few weeks. Um, Bakuda, along those lines, I mean, where can people connect with you, learn more about Nonbelievable, and just uh, really get some of those cookies? Yeah, well, people, listen, let me give you my home address. You can just come to my house. and I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, they can find me on Instagram. Cool. Uh, it's Kuda Biza, K-U-D-A-B-I-Z-A. Very easy and uh, simple name. So you can just find me on Instagram, Kuda Biza. You can also go to my website, spearmethod.com. And you can learn about the Spear Method, about the book. And if you're down for a delicious treat that also provides a nutritional, a nutritious meal to someone in need, you can go to nunbelievable.com. So N-U-N, like a nun, the sisters, believable.com. And uh, feel free to, you know, order some cookies, support us, and uh, let's help fight hunger here in the U.S. Absolutely. And I'll put all those links in the uh, show notes as well, just to make them uh, easily clickable. Uh, last question that I always ask everyone is obviously something that you talked about is success is really found throughout the journey. So mm-hmm. what would be one word that you would really describe the journey that you've had in life so far? Fun. I love that. You know, it's, it's, it's been fun. The, there's always, you know, some things that make it interesting and, you know, Instead of moaning or crying about it, enjoy the process, enjoy the journey, because at the end of the day, right, you, you're living every day and, you know, at some point, uh, your day will come to, 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 to transition over. So just have fun. You know, what's the point of stressing and being um, sad and miserable? Enjoy, enjoy, the, enjoy the bus ride. Look yeah. at the beautiful scenery. Don't look at the ugly scenery. It happens. We acknowledge that. We know it. But, you know, just always apply a positive perspective to it. I love it. I love it. Thanks for sharing that. Well, Kuda, man, thanks for hopping on. I really enjoyed having you as a guest. Talking about those cookies is is definitely making me hungry right now, too. So Cool. Well, hope you grab a box. And uh, thank you so much for having me. And enjoy. Well, that's it, guys. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Be sure to connect with Kuda on the social media platforms that he suggested. Also, check out his cookies. None Believables is where you can find that. I'll put the link uh, below in the show notes. Other than that, hope everyone has a great week ahead.